All right, all right. It is the Chiefstone Podcast. Welcome in. Appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening to the podcast. My name is Farzi Masugian, the host of the Chiefstone Podcast. Hope you all had a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you to those who serve and have served our great country. Big appreciation to those in our military who uh, do the work they do and the sacrifices they make uh, to help us enjoy our freedom in this great country. Very little time to waste. A lot to get into on this episode of the Chiefstone Podcast. We'll, of course, discuss Chiefs OTAs. A lot going on that we definitely need to talk about. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Also, an update on Chiefs draft picks. Where are the Chiefs in terms of signing their draft picks? We'll talk about that as well. Plus, I'll give you guys my reaction to the new rule about the national anthem and the protesting. And at the end of the day, this is all far from over and there's a big report about how players are reacting to this and before I get into all of this I do want to explain I, I know I, I've had complaints over the past eight nine months when this all got big again especially in Kansas City with Marcus Peters a lot of people are not fans of this topic that that is being discussed and I completely understand that just understand you know, anything that goes on with the NFL, uh, especially if, if the Chiefs are a big part of it, um, I mean, that's something we've got to discuss. And I will say this as well, on the Facebook page, anytime I've written anything, any, any news updates regarding the National Anthem or Trump's response to the NFL or any comments he has about the NFL, those have been the most discussed stories uh, on the Facebook page, the most discussed topics. And I'm always willing to talk, to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Any popular subject out there that gets a lot of attraction, I mean, if that's the big conversation going on, then it's definitely going to be discussed on the podcast. So, uh, again, like I said, I, I've received complaints about this in the past, but if something is a big topic and if I feel the need it will be discussed, we'll definitely discuss it on here. Uh, all I ask is everyone keeps an open mind. Uh, with the subject uh and if you don't like it hey look the beauty of podcasting you're more than welcome to fast forward through some of the things and uh just skip right through the uh closing segments of the podcast so it's up to you if you want to listen to that again no one's forced to 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 listen to that segment if they want to uh again that's the great part about uh podcast it's not like a radio show where you have to listen through and if you don't like it you can change a dial uh you guys are more than welcome to skip through that if you may so uh, just just putting that warning label out there right now uh, for those uh, that don't want to hear the topic. You guys on social media, if you're a first-time listener, it's easy. It's facebook.com slash Farzin Give me a like and a follow on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter as well, at Farzin21. You guys can send me an email, Farzin at FarzinVesugian.com. Let me just give you guys a little bit of a preview of what's going on with the podcast for the coming weeks. Uh, I did mention that there was, at the end of the last podcast, I mentioned that uh, I'm working on a guest, and we do have the guest scheduled, Marty McDonald from Save Our Chiefs. Uh, I was trying to get him during the season, but he had a personal emergency that came up right before the interview, Uh, so uh, we had to unfortunately push that off to the side, and uh, I've been working with Marty, trying to get him back on the podcast, and we, uh, we have agreed on a time this week, so he will be on the podcast, I'll talk to him I'll record that, and that'll be out later. 
so basically what's going on is this weekend, going to be a re- very fun weekend for me. Uh, and I say that sarcastically because I'm getting my wisdom teeth pulled uh, later in the week. Uh, so basically what I'm going to do is record a podcast uh, sometime this week, before the weekend. Uh, before I uh, get uh, my teeth yanked out. And that podcast will be uploaded same time next week on Tuesday, June the 4th. So obviously at by the time I... Uh, publish that recorded podcast it'll be there there's no way of being able to cover anything newsworthy so we won't have we won't be covering anything with chiefs otas or uh i mean there won't be any of the closing segments uh we'll talk a little bit about any chiefs news that happens from now until friday uh let's just put it that way uh but anything uh after that uh, it will not be covered on that episode that'll be released. And I did say uh, the 4th. I meant the 5th, June the 5th. Uh, that is a Tuesday. That is going to be the next episode of the podcast. I'll try to have an episode on the 12th. No promises there. Uh, but I'm sure I'll be little, I'll be close to fully recovered by then. But uh, rather than just not having the podcast for two weeks, I wanted to at least give something. And I think there's a lot to talk to with uh, Marty. Because everyone knows him as the guy from Save Our Chiefs. And what he did to really give a voice for Chiefs fans. So I want to talk to him, see what he's up to, and what he's got going on. He's he's got a big Chiefs fan page now because uh, he has switched Save Our Chiefs to uh, the Chiefs Kingdom, which is now a, uh, one of the more popular fan pages out there. So we'll definitely talk to him, get his take on everything that happened a few years ago, the impact he made, and uh, get his thoughts on the team right now. So we'll talk to Marty McDonald on the next episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast, and that'll be released on Tuesday the 5th of June, and then hopefully uh, I'll be able to release a, a podcast with more up-to-date information the following Tuesday after. That'll be on the 12th. All right, let's start with Chiefs OTAs right now because there's a lot to get into with everything that's been happening at Arrowhead's practice facilities. And, of course, everyone knows the big topic this offseason is the trade uh, for Alex Smith, trading him to the Washington Redskins and officially now moving forward with Patrick Mahomes, the Patrick Mahomes era essentially starting now. And so far, I mean, I guess it hasn't quote-unquote officially started, not until we play in the regular season in 2018. But as of right now, a little bit off to a shaky start with Patrick Mahomes struggling so far in OTAs. Uh, ESPN's Adam Teicher uh, wrote in his article some of the specifics that Mahomes has struggled with. In uh, one of the practice sessions, the Chiefs had uh, a full squad practice, meaning they had 11 on 11. And in those 15 passing uh, attempts that Mahomes had, he was 4 of 15 uh, in that full squad practice drill, and which included an interception that he threw. During 7 on 7 drills, Mahomes was 7 of 12, with an interception thrown as well. Look, here's my reaction to that. I, there's nothing to be alarmed about right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's a concern. You know, you're 4 of 15 on 11 on 11. And 7 of 12 in 7 on 7 drills. With an interception. F- with each of those drills to go with it. Not the most encouraging thing to hear. No question about it. Everyone wants to hear him go 15 of 15. or And, and 12 of 12. Uh, you always want to hear these kinds of things from OTAs. It, it is alarming when you hear about a player that's struggling in OTAs, certainly. 
But listen, I'd rather Mahomes be struggling now than later. And listen, if you're expecting perfection from from a rookie quarterback, it's a very hard transition going from college to the NFL. And I, I know I'm making it sound like the Chiefs drafted him this year and they didn't. But it, I've been using the term redshirt rookie for a reason for a very long time. That's really the case with Mahomes for 2018. And listen, here's here's another thing to consider. It could be possible that he just had a really terrible day uh, at practice. If you look at the number of practices Tony Gonzalez had here in Kansas City, and if you had the several more that he had in Atlanta and combined them together. Yeah, I mean, he's been part of a ton of practices in his NFL career. Odds are Tony Gonzalez has had at least one bad practice during his time here in Kansas City and maybe even one more during his time in Atlanta. I'm willing to put down 100 bucks right now that Tony Gonzalez had at least one bad day of practice. I'm sure Derek Thomas had a bad practice or two. During his time in Kansas City. I'm sure Len Dawson. Some of the Chiefs greats out there. We can go on and on with the list. Priest Holmes. Will Shields. Whoever. A lot of them have probably had at least one bad practice. During their time in the NFL. Everyone's had at least one bad game. I don't care if you're the worst player in the NFL. Or if you're part of the elite. I mean everyone's had a bad day. Whether it's a game or a practice. And I, you know, as I mentioned that. Tom Brady I'm sure has had a one bad day of practice, at least one bad day in his NFL career, his long NFL career. I'm sure LeBron James has probably had a bad day of practice at some point in his career. In fact, I remember hearing a story on another podcast a long time ago, back when the Chiefs Zone podcast was on the sportsif.com. We had an NBA podcast on that website, and the host of that podcast, he, of course, obviously a big basketball fan. He was trying to tell his friend, who doesn't follow basketball very closely, about LeBron James. That was at the time when LeBron was entering the NBA. And they went to go watch one of his summer league games. And LeBron only scored four points in that game. And look where LeBron is right now. Max Scherzer, back-to-back NL Cy Young award winner. I'm sure he's had a bad practice or two in his career. So, again, I'm not alarmed by this. It does need to be fixed, of course, no doubt about it. But I've been calling him, like I said, I've been calling him a redshirt rookie for a reason. There are going to be growing pains. Nothing's going to be perfect at the moment. In fact, nothing's ever going to be perfect. It doesn't matter who you are. Mahomes might struggle in the first four games. I've said this before. I, I, He's going to struggle early on. And just look at the schedule. The Chiefs open up the season in LA playing the Chargers. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, they're definitely going to create some problems for Mahomes in what's going to be his first real NFL game, if you want to put it that way. Uh, That can't be easy for any new quarterback, any young quarterback, dealing with that kind of a pass-rushing duo earlier in their career. Even veterans still struggle with uh, a defense like that. And I'm sure the Chiefs have spent a lot of time helping Mahomes work under pressure because this is a division where... You're going to be seeing Joey Bosa, Melvin Engram, Von Miller, Khalil Mack twice a year. And, and speaking of Von Miller, in week four, the Chiefs visit the Broncos. And I'm sure Von Miller and Shane Ray, pending any injuries, uh, and, and Shane Ray, of course, former MU Tiger and Kansas City native, he'll, he'll, they'll, they'll give Mahomes a hard time in week four. So... I've said many times in the past, I don't go crazy about OTAs, training camp. I remember last year, 
there were there was a lot of hype about Tyler Brace performance in OTAs and how there's a little bit of competition now because the Chiefs drafted a quarterback in the first round. Look at Tyler Bray right now. The guy did not play a snap in the NFL until week 17 when they pulled Mahomes thinking the game was over and Tyler Bray goes out there, fumbles a football and the Broncos tie it all up and Andy Reid puts Pat Mahomes back into the game. I'm sure we all remember that. So I don't go crazy too much for OTAs, training camp. It's practice. There's a video that went viral in Kansas City of Sammy Watkins making a one-handed catch that he made across the field. In a real live game, a defender probably breaks that up with a big hit. You're not delivering big hits in practice. You're not supposed to. Now, going back to Mahomes, if these struggles do continue throughout OTAs, Okay, maybe I'm going to hit the panic button at the time. But again, the Chiefs have plenty of time to, to to fix this. And again, going back to what I said about the first four games of the season, and how I think you're, you'll see some struggles with Mahomes early on, my fear is he struggled early and Chiefs fans lose patience. And I'm not trying to take a shot at Chiefs fans for this. I think any fan base would lose patience. We're in an era now, and I say this a lot, we're the social media era now in life where... You see one negative thing out there, everyone's reacting to it. In sports, well, if you see a, a player struggle for a couple of games, everyone's talking about who the backup is and whether or not they can come in and contribute. So I do fear that if Mahomes, and I'm just throwing numbers out there, if he has three passing touchdowns and six or seven interceptions within the first four games of the season, I can see the panic button being hit from Chiefs fans and already discussing the switch to Chad Henney or even looking ahead to the draft. So that that's my biggest fear, that Chiefs fans will lose their patience if Mahomes gets off to a slow start. And I, 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 I'll admit, I, I do anticipate that a little bit from Mahomes. So we'll see. I, I mean, there's really, these are always hard things to predict. Sure, the one year sitting behind Alex Smith, that definitely can be a boost for him. But listen, give it time. No, he's not a rookie. I know I'm making his excuse to making it sound like he's a rookie, but we all know that his experience right now is really not that much different than a rookie's experience at the moment. Look at Baker Mayfield. There's a lot of reports about him and how poorly he's doing in practice right now. Now, is he throwing an interception every single play? No, it's just one or two interceptions that he throws. That'll get talked about the most. Simply because it's Baker Mayfield and he does have a bit of a negative past and doesn't have the greatest popularity uh, among football fans. So there there will always be that negative spin for Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying Pat Mahomes, that's a similar case, but if Mahomes had a past similar to Baker Mayfield, I guarantee you all this talk about Mahomes struggling practice would be front page news on NFL.com, ESPN.com, wherever. But that's not the case. People are being patient with the Mahomes struggles for now. And I think that's the way it should be. Other discussions from OTAs. Eric Berry. Uh, I saw this uh, written by BJ Kissel on uh, the Chiefs website. And uh, also written by Matt Connor, a great friend of the podcast on Arrowhead Addict. Uh, Eric Berry, of course, was one of the three Chiefs last year not at OTAs. Justin Houston and Marcus Peters being the other two. Now he's back this year, and he talked about his presence of being at OTAs, trying to help the younger players around him, being in his ninth season in the NFL, and trying to make an impact. Trying to make an impact, not just on the team, but also 
with the guys around him. If you recall, obviously Barry suffered an injury at the end of the first game of the season when the Chiefs beat the Patriots to open up the NFL season in 2017. He took a couple of weeks off, you know, got the surgery, stayed home, recovered for a bit. But eventually we saw him back at Arrowhead on the sidelines uh, where, where he talked to Marcus Peters after a boneheaded move trying to calm him down and help him mature in those situations. He talked to other players, give them some advice in between drives or hype them up before games. Everyone knows of his story, of course, with the injuries he's overcome uh, in uh, several different parts of his career. Obviously, none of that compares to what he dealt with when he had his battle against cancer everyone knows that story and that inspires a lot of players alone he has everyone's attention when he speaks when he has something to say everyone is all ears because they're learning from someone who could be tabbed as one of the best players to ever play his position not because he's great at playing the game but because of the adversity that he has had to overcome uh, in his career and look if it wasn't for his injuries in 2011 2014, 2017, uh, plus stepping away from the game of football midway uh, in 2014 after he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, he'd probably have much higher numbers in his career. Everyone still remembers the impact he made in 2016, how he, as safety, we don't hear this about safeties often, carried the Chiefs to victory against the Panthers and the Falcons. Now, the Falcons, of, of course, the Chiefs had a lot of success in that game, but the second half, the Chiefs' offense was non-existent in that Falcons game. Uh, and Eric Berry, the pick two and the pick six he had in that game, if he does not do that, the Chiefs don't win that football game. If he doesn't come away with that interception and takes it all the way on that weird uh, uh, path he had to the end zone, uh, the Chiefs don't win that game. And eventually, in the long run, the Chiefs don't uh, win the AFC West. Now, there were other factors that played a role, such as Derek Carr's injury. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I mean, everyone knows the impact that he, he, he he's made. Not just on the team, but to the guys around him. And look, I, I just saw this on Pro Football Focus too. The Chiefs defense was fifth in passer rating allowed on deep passes. Uh, again, that's from Pro Football Focus. With Eric Berry returning, and I know Marcus Peters is gone, but I'm pretty confident in Kendall Fuller and David Amerson as they're now part of the mix. So it should be very interesting. I still think that this is a secondary that will improve, even without Marcus Peters. I know that's a crazy thing to say because you lose arguably one of the best cornerbacks, a top five cornerback in the NFL. And I know we saw more good than bad from this defense. That's one area where they excelled is on deep passes. And if you're wondering uh, who are the other four teams ahead of the Chiefs, in order, it's the Bills, the Titans, the Rams, and the Eagles. And by the way, looking at the Rams, if they're third on that list, what are they going to be next year? One other topic worth bringing up here on the podcast regarding Chiefs OTAs uh, from the first week, Sammy Watkins uh, was spotted returning kicks in OTAs, and I've always talked about how I think Sammy Watkins, he's in a great situation where he can focus on rebounding in the role that he's in now. He's a he's probably going to be a number two receiver, and even if the Chiefs decide to to have him as the number one receiver over Tyreek Hill, it's not like the Chiefs don't have nobody 
behind Sammy Watkins. There's another wide receiver out there that can carry the load, and you've got an elite tight end and Travis Kelsey that can also help out. So if the Chiefs didn't have a viable tight end and a viable all-around offensive guy like Tyreek Hill, and if they didn't have a running back, if they only had one of those three, I think there would be a lot of pressure on Sammy Watkins to uh, to exceed expectations. But as of right now, there is no pressure on Sammy Watkins. I've said this a lot in the offseason because you've got a Pro Bowl running back, a Pro Bowl tight end, and a Pro Bowl wide receiver. So this is a great situation for Sammy Watkins to walk into, and he can quietly rebuild his career a little bit. Maybe he can do it quicker than expected. I don't know. But what I do know is... This is a, situ- a great situation for him. And of course, under Andy Reid, we know how well offensive players do under Andy Reid's offense. Especially running backs. But even though Watkins isn't a running back, he'll, he'll still do a lot of big things. His speed is going to be... It's, it's going to come through for Kansas City. It will. No doubt about it. And the Chiefs are wanting to test out that speed on special teams as well. So... Listen, there are a lot of fast guys on this Chiefs team right now. Of course, everyone knows about Tyreek Hill, DeAnthony Thomas. He's done some good things on special teams in preseason games. Haven't seen a lot of that in regular season games from him uh, so far in his career. Drafted out of, out of Oregon in 2014. Trimont Smith is a possible candidate also for uh, returning uh, kicks and or puns. We'll see. But Samuel Watkins now part of the mix out there. I, I'm, I'm curious what the Chiefs are going to do because I mentioned this and everyone else in the media kind of picked up on it eventually, but with Ty, with the impact that Tyreek Hill had, I doubted him as a wide receiver going into the 2017 season. I mean, if you guys were listening back then at the time, you guys remember me, I, I had some concerns. I wasn't sure how Tyreek Hill was going to do in this new role that the Chiefs were trying to set him up for, especially with Jeremy Macklin gone. Macklin gone. I wasn't quite sure how that was all going to go. Obviously, it went way better than anybody could have expected with Tyreek Hill. Now he's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And you've got another guy in Sammy Watkins who can help carry the load in the passing game. And, of course, you, you know, obviously we discussed Mahomes struggling so far. Having so much talent around him certainly will help Mahomes find a way to improve and get better every day in practice and each week. Uh, during the games. As far as using them on special teams, and when I'm, I'm referring to, of course, Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill, I don't know what the Chiefs are going to do with, with, with special teams. This is going to be a very interesting offseason. And if there's one position battle I'm keeping an eye on, and, and if I think it's it's on top of the list, I think it's a kick return position, the punt returner position. Because if you want Tyreek Hill to be your number one wide receiver... He's probably not the most ideal guy to have out there uh, on kickoffs, at least. Punt returns could be fine. Maybe on emergency situations with two minutes left, game tied up, and you're getting ready to return a kick. Okay, sure, maybe you put Tyreek Hill in there. I can see the Chiefs, and I don't know, maybe a lot of people think this is crazy. I can see the Chiefs having some sort of rotation not a consistent rotation by all means i mean they're not going to have a not, not like baseball where you've got nine guys and you go to the next batter and so on in order i don't think it's going to be anything like that necessarily where you have three or four guys who just rotate 
all right, well, it's this guy's turn to not. I think you you maybe try to have one or two guys back there, and whoever's closest to to where the ball's kicked, they they get the kick return there. But then you maybe switch some guys in and out, and also depends on the situation. You have certain guys there as situational returners. I, I think that's going to be very interesting. The Chiefs, and I didn't realize this. Adam Teicher mentioned this in his article. Uh, that the Chiefs did lead the league in kick return yards last season. Akeem Hunt, of course, was a big part of that. He finished fourth, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, average kick return yards. And after he failed his physical, he was let go. So the Chiefs are looking for a new kick returner, someone who can do what Akeem Hunt was able to do. I think that's definitely one position definitely worth keeping an eye on and something that... I think is going to be one of the more intriguing position battles in training camp later this year. All right, I want to get into this topic because I know everyone's discussing this, even non-sports fans, uh, non-NFL fans, or those who claim to have boycotted the NFL uh, because of the protests. Uh, Everyone's talking about this. Everyone knows the story now. NFL owners unanimously agreed that players must either stand for the anthem or stay in the locker room they have one of those two options. If players protest during the anthem, teams will be fined. There was an idea thrown around that players specifically would be fined and there would be a 15-yard penalty assessed to start off a game. But I think it would be kind of weird. What if what if there's one Chiefs player and one Chargers player both kneeling? How do you I mean how do you go about the 15 yards then? So uh, they probably decided to throw that idea out the window and decided to just say, hey, we'll just find the teams if players protest during the anthem. Lots of former and current players are angry about this. And I think fans know why players are protesting. Social injustice, police brutality, how they went about the protest rubbed a lot of people off the wrong way. I was I was part of that crowd. Uh, a lot of people thought it was disrespectful to the military. Again, I was part of that crowd. But when I saw a lot of people in the military speak out and say that they are supporting players for this and that they fight for their freedom and and, and their rights to do this, I I said, look, if so many people in our military who, of course, have served our great country, if they're not bothered by this, why am I then bothered by this? And then, of course, we know Donald Trump, he made uh, his comment on the case and that, that, that pushed a lot of people to a side. Um, because we, we know with, with the political stance today, uh, people are wanting to either side with him or against him. And, and that's just the way things are. But as far as the NFL goes, uh, with their, uh, protesting, some fans and just some people in general, they're, they're not acknowledging, they're ignoring the issue. And they're basically saying that the NFL players are quote unquote protesting police. They're protesting police brutality. It's a completely different deal than protesting police. And I think that the people are saying, and Donald Trump had said something about this, how uh, it's showing a lack of patriotism for the country. And I think that's an ignorant, ignorant thing to say because you're ignoring, ignoring, excuse me, you're ignoring the issue of why NFL players are doing this, why they started this movement in the first place, more specifically why Colin Kaepernick started this. And Donald Trump told Fox and Friends that he likes to rule and that people should stand, be patriotic, and if they don't feel that way during the anthem, then they shouldn't be in the country. 
Mike Pence, the vice president, tweeted a photo of the new rule and wrote, hashtag winning. So clearly, and look, I don't care what your political stance is. I don't care if you love Donald Trump and you think he's the greatest president ever. It's clear, and it, it doesn't take a Trump supporter to, to struggle to see this. It's clear that this is an attempt for Trump and, and, and Pence to push their personal agenda. I thought it was weird when Pence went, and this was discussed on uh, NFL Series XM, I thought it was weird that he attend, attended a Colts game knowing that protesting was going on, and this was way after Donald Trump made those comments uh, referring to players as SOBs. I, I thought it was weird that he attends a game, he talks about how he, how excited he was, he knew players were going to protest, and 19 minutes after 12, probably safe to say the national anthem happened a couple of minutes before that, and I get it, it's the digital age, We, we people are quick on releasing these things, but 19 minutes after noon, there was a press release from uh, Pence regarding his frustration and his anger seeing players protest during the anthem. Again, my, my issue with this is, we have the president and the vice president angry that players are protesting. Do they know why they're doing this? Because they have not even commented once on that. They haven't commented once on what ideas they have to possibly eliminate police brutality and racial comments, which are two big reasons why NFL players are protesting. It's interesting to see that a president and a vice president are focusing so much on a peaceful protest, trying to paint a very bad picture on this, while we continue to witness school shootings. Of course, there was a high school shooting in Texas, took 10 lives, a middle school shooting that led to two people being rushed to the hospital. Um, I mean, I don't don't know where their priorities lie. I'm not saying... They can't address multiple issues, but it just seems like they're putting a very strong focus on this. And if they're going to, fine. Look, I mean, they're that's their job. They were elected to to, to do this. But if you're going to, why haven't they be, why haven't they been able to have an open mind in saying, look, we know why Colin Kaepernick started this. I mean, Trump criticized Kaepernick, criticized Marshawn Lynch. And we're not seeing any solutions to this. It's just hate and anger and personal attacks. And we're never going to solve anything by that. That's not a political thing. That's not Democratic or Republican to say. Uh, That's a human thing here. NFL players have a big platform. They want to use it. And to my next point here, lots of fans are saying, just stand. It's not hard. Protest some other way. Do it at your own time away from football. Folks, that's the point of a protest. The point of this protest is to be seen for it to catch attention. Now, look, no protest will ever be popular. If protests were so cool and so fun to do, people would be doing it all the damn time. NFL players want to see the protest, or NFL players want everyone to see the protests before the games. Now, we go into the fact that, you know, this is a First Amendment issue. Look, people have defended... NFL players for First Amendment rights. A lot of Trump supporters have defended Trump for a lot of the things that he has said, and everyone knows that he has said things that are out of line, especially for a president. You don't you don't have to be a Trump supporter to know that. You can be a Trump supporter and still know that he has said things that he really should not have ever said in the first place. Again, especially for a president. Uh, that's again, that's not Democrat Republican here. That's not the point. 
So, look, fair enough. Yeah, you, you, can, you can bring up the First Amendment and say that, you know, Trump has the right to say these things. The NFL players have the right to protest. But that also means that, you know, there are certain things expected. Now, comparing an, what an NFL player does and what a president does, surely one should have much higher standards than the other and should conduct themselves in a more professional way. But everyone knows we haven't necessarily seen that necessarily. But sure, my point is, with the First Amendment, you know that not everyone's going to like what you say all the time, or what you do all the time with protests. People are speaking against the NFL, saying that if they protest at work, they'd be fired. I say not necessarily. Look, look at the Shawnee Mission School District. Remember when teachers and administrators wore safety pins, and that was their way of protesting? That caught fire because teachers were eventually told not to. That led to some angry employees, and there's a lawsuit about this going on, but it was a peaceful protest. You know, No one was necessarily offended by anything that was done. Uh, look, whether it is noticeable or not, generally they're supposed to be noticed. That's the point of a protest. Protesting happens in many ways. Whether it's kneeling, wearing a safety pin, if you wear a certain color shirt to work or to school or wherever just to stand up for a certain cause, there are many ways people can protest at work and not suffer the consequences for it. Or at the very least, they can't get fired for it as long as you're quiet about it, not being vocal verbally at work about it or being violent about it. Now, as far as the end game, what's going to happen here, I don't know. This will be taken to court. Uh, Players will do everything they can to fight for this. The NFLPA will do the same thing. The NFLPA is very upset because they were never approached about this, and the NFL just went ahead and put this rule in place. Uh, I saw in Pro Football Talk, the NFLPA said it will challenge any aspect of the new anthem policy, saying that it is consistent with the collective bargaining agreement. Um, I mean, we're we're now seeing Congress members speak out about this. Uh, The owner of the Jets said that he's willing to pay any fine proudly if his players do this. Which I find interesting because it was reported that the owners unanimously agreed on this. But nonetheless, uh, Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison is backing the NFLPA, calling for an NFL boycott. This is far from over. And Sean King, for those not familiar, if you're on Twitter, you probably have seen a lot of his tweets. Uh, But Sean King, he is a writer and uh, a civil rights activist. And he tweeted over the weekend that he's been told by, quote, several star NFL players that they are considering setting out the season until the de facto ban of Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed is removed and they are on an NFL roster. Now look, we hear this a lot with holdouts for for contract situations and everyone says, look, players are always going to play under the franchise tag. They're not going to sit out an entire season and... Miss out on millions of dollars. I mean, we're we're talking a lot of money here. Now, at the same time, I guess you just have to ask yourself, what does it mean to these athletes? Especially a lot of African-Americans in the NFL. Is this something that that is worth it for them? Is it worth it for them to miss out on their millions of dollars to stand up for social injustice and, and police brutality? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. That's not for me to decide. That's up to these players. And again... There's no confirmation of this. We know Marcus Peters, uh, it was very important for him to be part of the anthem protest in 2017 uh, until midway through the season. He stayed in the locker room until 
the anthem was over. We saw Justin Houston. He would kneel in front of the bench a couple of times uh, during the anthem. Travis Kelsey, Kami Iligwe, Kareem Hunt, Tyree Kill. Uh, they were seen uh, at one point or two protesting, sitting on the bench or kneeling. Alex Smith and Pat Mahomes, they stood behind a bench for one game. And that was the same week in week three in L.A., uh, just shortly after Trump had lashed out on NFL players for the protests. Obviously, a couple of these players no longer on the Chiefs. Marcus Peters, Alex Smith. I think Marcus Peters certainly, I mean, we know that he's going to be vocal about this in some way. Marshawn Lynch, I'm sure he's going to have something to say about this. Uh, Look, I don't know. Uh, Who knows who these players are that are apparently willing to set out an entire season. All I'm saying is this is far from over. I don't know what the end game is going to be. Unfortunately, things like police brutality, racism, they're never going to end. I mean, whether people are going to say it to your face or in person, I mean, these kinds of things are never going to end. They can be reduced, sure, and I think that's what these players are aiming for the most, realistically. But at the end of the day, I don't know what the end game is going to be. This is going to be a very ugly situation. I mean, this if you think this is the end of it, I mean, you, you see Trump and Pence talking about this like this is the end and that the NFL has solved it. No, I mean, this is going to go on for a long time. I don't know what the situation... Because people are saying, well, you're taking their First Amendment rights away. And there's another side saying that, yeah, sure, you can talk about First Amendment rights, but that doesn't mean you can say whatever and not expect any consequences from it. Look, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a judge. I don't know what exactly is quote-unquote right and what's quote-unquote wrong. I I have no idea what's going to happen in the end. All I know is that this is far from over. And uh, look, the NFL is dealing with a lot right now. The cheerleader allegations that are coming out, some of those things uh, that they're dealing with. This is not a good time for Roger Goodell. And I think his, his job as a commissioner is being tested right now. What can Roger Goodell do right now to make everyone happy? Can you make everyone happy? I don't know. That is a job for Roger Goodell. And I don't know if he can come up with a solution at the end of the day, not just for the anthem protest, but the cheerleading situation, so many other issues that the NFL is dealing with. We all know about the plethora of player arrests that take place. I mean, there's a lot the NFL is dealing with. And, you know, you have a commissioner for a reason. Those are guys far more qualified than than us. So we'll see what Roger, what, what Roger Goodell can do with this because this is something that he's got to fix and it's not going to be an easy one. I'll tell you what else is not going to be easy. Playing football in Las Vegas. I'll tell you what. Uh, I saw the pregame ceremony on NHL Network right before game one of the Stanley Cup final between the Las Vegas Golden Knights. It's it's actually the Vegas Golden Knights, but I like to call it the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, But the Golden Knights and the Washington Capitals. And people were in their seats at T-Mobile Arena about 20 minutes before the puck dropped. Everyone was there to catch the pregame ceremonies because the Vegas Golden Knights have been known to have some great pregame ceremonies. And not just that, there were there were a lot of people just outside the arena. They call it the Toshiba Plaza. For those who've been to Vegas, you know there are a couple of 
casinos nearby, so it's a pretty big area where people can hang out, get a drink, or, or, or shoot hoops. I've seen this for UFC events, I don't know how it is for concerts, but it's a very big area where you can just hang out, and a lot of people actually watch the game on the big screen that's uh, that, that's part of the arena from the out, outside of it. Kind of like PNL, where a lot of people went there for the World Cup to, to watch all of the U.S. Uh, games. So, here's here's my point. Obviously, the Golden Knights... Win, first of all, the Golden Knights moving to... Or, I should say, starting up in Vegas, rather. They didn't necessarily move. That, uh, that drew a lot of reaction. A lot of people were there for the unveiling of the name of the team... And everybody wanted to, 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 to see history happen. A sports team finally in Vegas. What nobody was prepared for was the amount of success that this team was going to have. And I remember I was in Vegas, I believe that was on uh, New Year's uh, weekend. And I had asked a couple of people who are from, uh, from the city, who live in the city. I, I asked, hey, what are your thoughts on the Golden Knights so far? And they said, hey, we're, we're happy about them. They're first place in the, in the division right now. They they dealt with a lot of injuries during the season, and they finished the season, I believe, with the best record in the NHL. And now here they are in uh, the Stanley Cup Final, winning the Western Conference. By the way, nobody's complained about the uh, the, the supplemental or the uh, expansion draft rather until they won the Western Conference. Kind of funny how that all works out. But anyway, my point is, people packed the T-Mobile Arena. 20 minutes before the first puck dropped. People that didn't even have a ticket still wanted to be in the area just outside of the arena. There is a lot of support for this team right now. Now, yes, people might criticize Vegas and say, well, they're only supporting them because they're winning. Uh, okay, let's let's slow it down a little bit because let's not forget a lot of Royals fans are listening to this podcast. In August of 2014, Nobody was attending Kansas City Royals games. And there was a game late in the regular season where Alex Gordon hit a walk-off home run when they were losing 1-0 and the Royals won 2-1. And I remember working, uh, I I was producing the game uh, for 610 Sports Radio that night and I was updating their social media saying the Royals are still losing 1-0. Everybody was complaining, acting like it was the end of the world and that the Royals were not going to be able to make the playoffs. One pitch later, Alex Gordon smacks a home run, a walk-off home run. And Kansas City painted the whole town blue. Now, with that in mind, Ned Yost, the manager of the Royals, he criticized Royals fans saying, where are Royals fans? We didn't have a lot of fans out there for the game today. And then, of course, at the end of September for the wildcard game against Oakland, the Coffin Stadium was packed, and it had never been that packed ever before, I don't think. So listen, you want to criticize Vegas because they're packing every single game now because they're winning? That's how Coffin Stadium worked. Arrowhead Stadium, no, they, they, I mean, they, they, they had a lot of empty seats in uh, 2007, 2008, 2012, during those Herm Edwards, Todd Haley seasons. Uh, but a lot of people were still following the Chiefs. I've, and I've said this before, there's always a football town, and it was only a baseball town just briefly. I'm not going to get into that. We discussed that uh, recently on the podcast, but you get the idea. Of course it's easy 
for people to follow a team when they're winning. Look at Boston. Do you think people cared about the Patriots before 2001, 2000? And by the way, before Kevin Garnett made it to Boston, what was the coverage like for Celtics games? Because I saw a lot of empty seats. Paul Pierce, former Kansas Jayhawk, I remember he was considered the longest tenured Celtic to not appear in a playoff game. And and once they got Kevin Garnett and that finally happened, everybody in Boston started attending Celtics games. I mean, that was now another big sports show in Boston. Boston sports fans are guilty of getting behind their teams when they start winning. If Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are not in New England, trust me, you don't see banners in uh, Gillette Stadium. Patriots football won't be as big as it is now. Alex Reamer calling Brady's daughter a pissant wouldn't even be a big story. But it is because it's Tom Brady and all the great success he's brought to that city. You get the idea. Any sports franchise. Listen, when the day comes that the Cleveland Browns pull a Kansas City Royals and they go to a playoff game and they have it at home, that stadium's going to be packed with bunch of Cleveland Browns fans that didn't even follow the team the year before. It's going to happen. Trust me. My point is with Las Vegas, the Oakland Raiders, they're going to move there. Now, do they move there next year or the year after? I don't know. If they do go next year, they're going to be at the uh, UNLV Stadium, Sam Boyd Stadium for a little bit before the actual NFL Stadium is open. But here's my point, man. If Las Vegas can get behind that Vegas team, the Golden Knights. Oh boy, I, I mean, what? and by the way, the Raiders have shown some improvement the past couple of years. I know last year wasn't a good year, but 2016, they finished first place with the Chiefs uh, in the division, and the only reason the Chiefs won the AFC, I think the biggest division why the Chiefs won the AFC West, and I mentioned this earlier, in fact, Derek Carr's injury. Last year, not a great year for the Raiders, but they had one point late in the season tied with the Chiefs for first place in the division, along with the Chargers. The Raiders have made some strides in getting better. And now you have John Gruden to the mix. And they're only going to get better. If they carry this improvement over in Las Vegas, and if they can continue to improve, that team is going to get behind that Raiders team in Las Vegas. Just like how they are for the Golden Knights. And I'm saying this because I know it's going to be a very unpopular opinion, but I, I can see this happening. Right now, I truly do think Las Vegas is the best sports town in America. Sounds crazy to say. They didn't even have a team a year ago today. But they are the show and the best sports town right now. By the, by the time the Raiders get there, and if they can continue to improve, they're going to have another team to fully support and get behind. And I'll tell you what, by the time that new Raiders stadium opens... Now, I believe it's an indoor stadium, so I don't know if it can necessarily compete in the Guinness uh, uh, World uh, Record books for loudest stadium. Uh, But I'll tell you what, man. I think that Vegas stadium is going to be more exuberant, and it'll be more loud than the black hole they have in Oakland. Because seeing this fan base right now in Las Vegas for the hockey team, that's just hockey. Now they're getting the biggest sport in their own city, the NFL. And if the Raiders do win, and listen, winning cures everything. Look what I said about the Matt Patricia situation. He's dealing with a lot of 
bad publicity right now, but if the Lions win a lot of games, no one's going to care. Everyone's going to get behind the team. A lot of people got behind Tyreek Hill despite his past. People got behind the Royals when they suddenly started to, to win. You get the idea. Winning cures everything. And if they can do that, oh boy. Uh, I mean, everyone's going to be at all the Vegas, uh, Vegas Raiders games, whatever they want to call them. Las Vegas Raiders, Vegas Raiders. And it's going to be very hard to find a ticket. I thought, I, I, I said this before, I thought the Raiders were going to struggle for home support there. Because... It's in a very tourist... It's the biggest tourist attraction in the United States. They get more visitors than any other city in the country. Maybe even the world. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I thought it was going to be a city where a lot of people, they they were in town, they say, hey, look, let's check out the new NFL stadium. Let's check out an NFL game while we're in Vegas. But I think at the same time, you're going to see a lot of people in that town show up and make the Raiders their team. Uh, I think this is going to be a city where it's going to be very tough for opposing teams to go and play. It's going to be up there with Arrowhead Stadium uh, and and a couple others that have a loud environment. And I'll tell you what, and I, look, I love Las Vegas. I mentioned on the podcast, I, I go there a few times a year. But I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I mean, I hate the fact that it's a Raiders team going there because... That, that, that I think that's going to be a city that will honestly get more support in Vegas than they will in Oakland. Which is crazy to say because in Oakland they get a lot of support. You you know about Raiders fans, how nutty they can be, yet still very supportive. And I think in Vegas, it's going to be a lot better. I do think the nutty the nuttiness is going to be a little bit less. But nonetheless, uh, I, I think what Las Vegas or what the Raiders are going to go into, whether it's next year or in a couple of years... It's going to be a great situation if they can continue to improve. And I think they can, and they will. And that's going to be a great move for them. Not just from a football standpoint, but from a business standpoint too. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to put butts in seats. And there's going to be competition. Who's the better, who's the more popular team? The Golden Knights or the Raiders? That'll happen at some point. I know I said this on the Facebook page and a lot of people are laughing. That's fine. Laugh while you can. But I think by the time this Vegas, uh, this Raiders team moves to Vegas, I I, I don't know. I I think it's going to be very hard to win games there. And they'll get, look, the NFL will always get better coverage than the NHL. So imagine the coverage that the Golden Knights are getting now. It's going to be a hundred times bigger for the Raiders because they're an NFL team. And the support that they'll get, it'll be one of the biggest stories. And as Chiefs fans, we're probably going to be very sick and tired of it. So, look, I hope Andy Reid is here for a while and can help the Chiefs be a high-powered team because I think the Raiders are on their way to doing the same thing. And it'll be very tough to beat them. And not only that, they're in the division, so it's going to be very competitive. Look, I want to go to a Chiefs and Raiders game in Vegas. I really do. I think it'd be a very fun thing to do while in Vegas. Uh, but now I worry about tickets and whether or not they'll be easily accessible. So uh, we'll see what it's go- going to be like. But I'm pretty confident that the Raiders are going to get a lot of support there. And by the way, even in years past, when I see NFL hats or jerseys there, I've always seen a lot of Raiders gear, gear there. So that alone is a great move for the Raiders. So I think it's going to be very interesting. I'm pretty excited for that move. I, I'm definitely going to try to catch a game uh, the first year they have a Chiefs game and a Raiders game in Vegas, so I definitely want to check that out. 
the first season there. Let me know your thoughts on everything we discussed. Facebook.com slash Farzin Twitter.com slash Farzin2. And you guys can also email me, Farzin at FarzinVasugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Here's a player that I haven't really talked about a whole lot. And I think this deserves a little bit more attention because of the situation that this player is in coming off a really bad season. NFL.com has a story on its front page about Marcus Mariota's progression under new head coach Mike Vrabel, also former Chiefs linebacker, as well as a former Patriots player as well. Uh, The Titans won a playoff game, of course, against Kansas City. Everyone remembers that game. Yet Mike Mularkey was fired. And you don't see that often. You don't see a team win a playoff game, especially the way the Titans did, and then they fired their head coach. But the lack of progression, and it's more so the major step back for Mariota, was a huge reason why Mularkey was let go. AFC South has been a wide-open division for a couple of years now. We saw the Texans win it back-to-back years despite playing a bunch of different quarterbacks in 2015 and 2016. Uh, Jacksonville won it last year in Tennessee, was able to get in. Uh, but but Jacksonville didn't get a whole lot of attention uh, despite winning their division. And I said this during the season, I, I felt like Jacksonville was highly underrated. But nonetheless, it, this is, again, a wide-open division, the AFC South, that is. But it kind of depends on how Marcus Mariota is going to do. This is a guy who I think is going to be... Watch pretty closely this year under a new head coach in Mike Vrabel, who, of course, has been surrounded by a lot of great coaches uh, as a player. Bill Belichick, Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss. Not that he played under Weiss or anything, but, uh, I mean, hey, look, uh, under his offense on those trick plays, yeah, sure, I guess you could say he, he did play under Weiss. So he's been around some great coaches. What can he learn from those guys, or what did he learn from those guys, and how can he apply it for a guy like Mariota who's trying to rebound in his career. I think that's something that's definitely worth taking note of and and seeing where he goes from there. Another thing that's being talked about a whole lot so far with OTAs, injuries. Injuries taking place. Rams defensive end Morgan uh, Morgan Fox, excuse me, he suffered a torn ACL. Chargers tight end Hunter Henry, he improved quite a bit for the Chargers and made some noise late in the season. He was actually viewed as one of the best tight ends uh, from pro football folks perspective along with Gronk and Kelsey he suffered a torn ACL as well in fact he did it on the first day of practice look I don't know I don't know what can be done about this because a lot of people are pointing out the statistics the amount of injuries that you see during a regular season and the amount of injuries you see before a season and more specifically training camp I know we're not at the training camp period yet but seeing players suffer these kinds of injuries in OOTAs I mean it's never a good thing to see a lot of times, I, I've suffered a torn ACL before. It's a, it was in a non-contact situation, and that's generally what happens uh, with, with ACL tears. They usually happen in non-contact situations uh, more times than not. It, it's never a good thing. You never know if someone's knee just came out in a certain situation, if it was just waiting to happen, if it was close to getting to that point. You never know, and it's very unfortunate to see. I, I don't know like what science, if you want to look behind it, why these things happen more so in OTAs and in training camp uh, rather than in season modes. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it's just a very unfortunate situation. Uh, there's a reason why I've said before injuries suck and they're terrible. A lot of people have said that. Uh, they're never 
good to see, especially especially when they happen before a season even begins. You never want to see a player uh, not be able to play his rookie season or, or, or just miss an entire year uh, because of that. It's never a good thing to see. Cliff Averill of the Seahawks, uh, he was quoted recently saying that the Seahawks began to question Pete Carroll and his role with the Seahawks after Super Bowl 49 when then-offensive coordinator uh, Bevel, he had that infamous play call at the one-yard line where the Seahawks passed rather than running with Marshawn Lynch. I just want to read you Seattle's year-by-year record. 2013, 13-3. 2014-12-4. 2015-10-6. 2016-10-5-1. 2017-9-7. They have gradually declined. Now, it's not like they went from a 12-4 and season in 2014 and then two years later they're 4-12. That's not the case at all. They've been above 500 each and every single season. Now, this offseason, of course, they lost Richard Sherman, who's been a big part of that Seattle football team, especially the Legion of Boom. And a lot of people are thinking that the Seattle Seahawks team, is the, the dynasty that they once had, is coming to an end and... It, uh, the end started with that play call against the Patriots in the Super Bowl that, that, at the very end of the game. Look, the, pay, the Seahawks, they've, they've been above 500 each and every single season since 2013. I, mean, I don't know if it's necessary to criticize Pete Carroll for this. Are they showing improvement? No, not at all. As I just read to you, their record has gotten worse each and every single season. Now... To go from thirteen and three to nine and seven in the span of one, two, three, four, five years—that's not necessarily terrible. But what's the what's the attempt when you try to win? You always want to improve because that's how you do get better. That's how you that's how you eventually win games. And the Seahawks aren't showing improvement right now, and there's a lot of fear that this Seahawks team is going to go from being one of the best. To now, uh, if a team can even compete. Crazy to think that this team, because they do have a lot of potential, I think this is going to be a very critical season for Pete Carroll. I think he's definitely on the hot seat. And, you know, this public criticism certainly not a good one to he- hear about. Uh, but, but Pete Carroll, who, in my opinion, one of the best coaches in the game of football, college and the NFL, it's going to be a big test for him. What does he do? With the Seahawks team, you're without a guy who, by a lot of people, probably tabbed as the best player on the team the past few years, and you've got a quarterback who can be one of the best out there in Russell Wilson, but how does this team get to that point in trying to recover from the past few years, the the slow decline, and trying to go back the other way around? That is something that Pete Carroll's definitely got to find a way to do with that Seattle football team. Let's go out of bounds. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard the UFC and ESPN have reached a $1.5 billion agreement, which will make ESPN the exclusive broadcast home 
for UFC events and is expected to air all uh, all of the events for non-pay-per-view shows starting in January of 2019. They also have the ESPN Plus agreement. I'm kind of interested because a lot of people in MMA media have discussed how does this change ESPN's coverage for certain sports at certain times of the year? Because they spend a lot of time covering the NFL and college football and college basketball as well. Now, the NFL, let's put that aside because the NFL is on Sundays. Most UFC events are on Saturdays. Occasionally, you have some UFC events on a Friday and on a Sunday. The UFC, now that they're on ESPN, we could see fewer college football games on Saturday nights on ESPN. Now, I, I still think you'll see the same amount of college football games, approximately the same amount at least, each and every week, Saturday nights, just maybe not on ESPN each and every single week. Now, look, ESPN has a ton of channels. ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPNU. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting another ESPN outlet out there. My point is, people think college football and college basketball will get bumped. No way. Maybe we see a little bit less of Alabama football or KU basketball on ESPN. But you can still share the love on ESPN's networks with all of the channels it has to offer. Now, keep in mind, Disney also owns ABC. So maybe Disney will put the UFC on one of its other channels, such as ABC. You never know exactly. So, I don't know exactly what the flexibility is like for this because when they were on Fox Sports and if they could not get on FS1 or FS2, they would broadcast some of their events on FX. So I'm kind of curious if ESPN wants to continue to have Alabama football games or KU basketball games, which, let's be honest, those are some of their bigger uh, sporting events that they cover. They have a lot of KU basketball games, especially on big Mondays uh, and Saturdays as well, and we all know about Alabama football. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, ESPN tries to schedule all of their events. And you, you got to keep one thing in mind with college sporting games. The schedule does come out, especially for football, but it's usually 10 days before, 12 days before, rather, when they actually release the date and the times. And by the way, let me just note one thing. I think this is a huge win for the UFC. Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor have not fought for the UFC in more than a year Yet the UFC somehow, without any active superstars fighting right now, they landed a TV deal worth $1.5 billion. I have no idea who was the lead negotiator in all of this for the UFC, whether it was Dana White or somebody else, but whoever it was, they deserve a big-time bonus from Dana White because to put together, to, to, to basically agree on a $1.5 billion deal without any current active superstars... I think that's a huge deal, and I think you've got to reward ESPN. You've got to put Conor McGregor on free TV on the very first ESPN UFC event just to make some noise to start things off in that new era with ESPN and the UFC. One very cool story from Kansas City, former Kansas City Maverick goalie, Maxime Legace. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He will suit up for the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's actually the first ever KC Maverick to reach a Stanley Cup final. 
Uh, he's the backup goalie to Mark Andre Fleury, who's had an incredible postseason with the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's very cool to see. Of, of course, the Mavericks now uh, they're a feeder for um, for the uh, for for the Blues. I know they were with the Rangers for the longest time as a minor league team. Uh, but it's very cool to see just how, how much better the Mavericks have gotten in that they've been able to produce players. Of course, they were in the championship a couple of years ago, and now you're starting to see some of these players get to the part where uh, maybe as a backup goalie, not a big role, but still you're playing some sort of a hand and helping your team get to the Stanley Cup Finals. Very cool to see and uh, former Kansas City Maverick in doing so. Uh, final story I do want to discuss here, and I'll make this real quick because I know a lot of people have, have talked about this a lot. You hear about this guy. His name is LeBron James. Surely you've heard of him. Uh, he has reached the NBA Finals for the eighth consecutive season. Now, we can sit here and talk about how great he is and get into the whole LeBron versus MJ topic. And I've already said my piece in that I, I think it's better to wait until LeBron's career is fully over. Then we can have a better argument as to who's better uh, comparing him to MJ, Kobe, whoever. Uh, but as of right now, I think this is what we need to just acknowledge with LeBron James. Eighth consecutive year that he has reached the NBA Finals. Because this is something that nobody is discussing at all. The NBA offseason is not a very long one. It's, it's, in fact, the shortest offseason among all of the major pro sports. And for LeBron James to play the entire duration of an NBA season for the past eight years, reaching the Finals each of the last eight seasons... And to just be able to play as great as he does each and every single year, that's pretty impressive. And I think, again, by the time when I feel like there's a better case to to do the MJ versus LeBron debate, I think looking back, you can talk about the fact that how LeBron, maybe he may not have as many titles as MJ. Who knows? I think that remains to be seen for now. But at the same time, to be able to go to a finals for eight straight years, doing so on different teams... That's very hard to do. You don't get that often. And I think that definitely needs to be considered when you talk about LeBron. Because I know he gets a lot of criticism. When you're at the level that LeBron's at, same can be said about Tom Brady. They don't always get positive responses from some people. There are always going to be haters out there that always have to hate on their success, I guess. But one way or another... You just look at LeBron and just really how incredible his postseason has been. At the end of Game 7 against the Celtics, he goes for a layup at one point, was grabbed from behind, shot was goaltended, and it still went in. And I think that moment right there, that play right there, really has defined LeBron this year and just how unstoppable he's been this postseason. Very fun to see. And again, I said this before, I get people want to have that debate. Everyone wants to put their two cents in on this discussion. Everyone wants to be a part of this debate. But don't get too caught up in this. Because if you do, you're going to forget about the moment and not realize the fact that this this is one of the best postseason performances we're seeing from an individual. And I think the appreciation will be missed because we get too caught up in, in these kinds of debates. Enjoy for what it is because we don't get these kinds of performances often. We may not see another MJ, a Kobe, or a LeBron type of guy for a long time. At least there's no indication of uh, of getting a player like that anytime soon. So enjoy it while you have it now because these kinds of things in sports, I mean, this is why we love sports. We want to see these dominant performances, and LeBron is providing that right now. 
Final segment of the show, let's throw some flags. A lot of Chiefs fans are upset because John Gruden had said something uh, in talking about getting Derek Johnson. Uh, the quote that's made headlines is that... We love stealing from the Chiefs. Now, here's the full quote. If you actually read out the whole thing, and I believe this is a radio interview. I, I don't know exactly, but when I read it on an, uh, in the article, he wrote, Last time I was here in Oakland, he's talking about it as an assistant, we stole Rich Gannon from the Chiefs. We took Andre Risen from the Chiefs. We took Albert Lewis from the Chiefs. We love stealing from the Chiefs. So now we got Derek Johnson, and I'm on my way to the Raiders store to pick up a Derek Johnson Raiders jersey. I'm going to wear it home tonight. Now, again, you can just tell he's kind of, he's probably chuckling as he says this. I don't think he meant anything malicious by this. Look, a lot of times in cases like this with division rivals, you just do it to pump up your fans. I remember Jamal Charles made a comment saying he always wanted to play for the Broncos and Chiefs fans. What 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 crazy about this? And I get it. I get we're a city where we care about passion and, and unity. I remember when your Donovan Ventura passed away. Uh, Royals, a couple of Royals players were in front of the stadium, and uh, they participated with some of the fans uh, in a in a prayer uh, in that moment. It was a very special thing to see. So I get we have that kind of connection with with players in this city, but look. I, I think Chiefs fans just need to let loose a little bit. I, I don't feel the need, the under. I don't. I just don't know why people are getting too upset over something that Gruden was probably chuckling as he said it. I, I never heard this quote, but come on, hey, look, you can't get too upset in sports. I, I think sometimes fans, and I've heard this said many times by uh, by coaches and and players, both at the college level and at the pro level. Sometimes fans take it more personally than coaches and players themselves. They really do. And I, I think that needs to change from some sports fans. I mean, don't get too caught up in, in quotes like that. I, I think that's what... Listen, the more you stress out over things like this, you don't live longer. Less stress, you live longer. Let's put it that way. The Houston Rockets fell to the Golden State Warriors in Game 7. Uh, had a pair of Game 7s in the Conference Finals, which was cool to see in the NBA playoffs. But the Houston Rockets did something. They basically did the impossible. They missed 27 consecutive three-pointers, which ties an NBA postseason record. They had the lead at one point, and they let it slip away. And for the 50th or 51st year in a row, I, I lost track at this point. We're getting another Cavaliers versus Warriors finals matchup. If you like it, enjoy it. If not, don't watch it. Don't complain about it. There are a lot of other things you can watch on TV. Nonetheless, 27 in a row? I mean, how can you call yourselves a professional NFL team? And honestly, and I don't mean this to, to be negative in any in any way, this honestly reminds me of how the Chiefs could not complete a touchdown pass to a wide receiver in all of 2014. And by the way, the Kansas Jayhawks did something similar to that in 2012. 
I don't understand how sports teams can can do that. It, I mean, it's so terrible and feels impossible that it actually feels like an accomplishment. You have to try at some point to to be an NF and a professional NBA team, a professional basketball team, and to miss twenty seven straight threes. I don't know how, how that's done. I'm going to give you two reasons why you just should not be a jerk nor an idiot out in public. Number one, there, I just don't think there's any reason for people to, to be that way. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who, who do that. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt to be considerate out there in the world. Number two reason, and I think the better reason is, you do anything like this, it's easy to get humiliated. And what I'm referring to is the attorney in New York. I'm sure everybody has heard about this. If you've been on Facebook or Twitter within the last week, you saw Aaron Schlossberg, an attorney who unleashed at, I believe, I believe this is at a restaurant or a coffee shop. Uh, he was caught after he threatened to call ice on two women who were speaking in Spanish saying, this is America. You got to speak English course an ignorant thing to say because English is not the primary language in the United States it's the most spoken language but it's not the primary language uh but crazy thing about this Schlossberg guy he was filmed in years past multiple times by people basically doing similar things threatening to call the FBI on on people who don't look like they're from the United States um, by the way, it, it, with this internet age, it's crazy how fast things from your past will, will surface. And this guy, apparently, I mean, he's been filmed doing these things before for whatever reason. It went viral, uh, a couple of times after he had done it. Again, it's not worth being a jerk and doing things like this, especially in public. Everyone, rightfully so, will pull out their phone and they will film you. That in situations like this, it is the best thing to do. You see it more and more. I mean, there was there there have been a couple of uh, fights on airplanes recently, and people have pulled out their phones just to at least have some sort of evidence. A lot of people say, "Why don't you put the phone down and help solve the situation?" I'm not getting involved in between two people who I don't even know, and I don't I don't even know what the, how the situation started. But if you there's at least some sort of visual evidence. Police, attorneys, they can at least use that and uh, make a better judgment and a a better decision if they feel like consequences are necessary. And by the way, this uh, Aaron Schlossberg character, uh, he's been recently quoted saying that he's not a racist and that's not who he is. Or at least in the moment, that's not who who he was. Sure, I mean, public perception really makes you flip the switch. Uh, by the way, uh, he was filmed by multiple uh, media members, uh, a lot of photographers, just on the street. And there was one occasion on a sunny day in May with an umbrella and a winter hat on. Keep in mind, it's it's, it's the summertime, pretty much. Uh, he's attempting to hide from the public. Not that it worked, because everyone still recognized him, and they followed him, and he was begging for everyone to leave him alone. Uh, it's just never good. There, but there was a, uh, a gentleman, by the way, named James On. He's a, a Korean who was on the receiving end of some racial slurs during a weird road rage incident uh, in Fremont, California. 
where a woman was shouting and laughing at him, saying, go back to China. Uh, she was uh, mocking the Chinese, the, the Asian accent. She put her fingers in her eyes, starting to mock him, called him ugly Chinese. This is not your effing country. Go back. Uh, just ignoring things. Saying this is my country. Uh, well, this is pretty interesting. His friend started to film the whole incident. Again, smart thing to do. At least film the whole thing. But this woman... First of all, this woman really messed up here because, number one, she told the guy to go back to China. He's Korean. Uh, number two, he's a member of the Air Force Reserve. Okay, so far, off to a great start. You're calling a Chinese, uh, you're t- or, excuse me, a Korean guy telling him to go back to China. And number two, this guy is a member of the Air Force Reserve. And by the way, someone used a Facebook app. Because police did not release this woman's name well, once they saw her. She claimed, by the way, that he started the racial insults first. I mean, that's an easy thing to do once you've been caught. But someone used a, one of those Facebook apps that uses face recognition to help you find a lookalike. And that person managed to find this woman through that stupid... One of those stupid Facebook apps finally comes to good use... And uh, her name, I, I won't say her name, uh, but it's a—it's not a, an American name, so to say. And she's making these racial comments saying this is my country. And now she finds herself receiving a lot of criticism. By the way, she claims that she's been receiving a lot of death threats too because of her comments to this Asian man, this Korean man. Uh, just not very smart too. By the way, going back to Schlossberg the New York attorney, you know how you can type uh, a business on Google search engine? So, for example, if you type Subway, you'll you'll get some of the Subway locations near you, but sometimes if you type for a specific Subway, such as, I mean, if you want to type for a Subway, and I'm just making this up, if there's a Subway right at the Power and Light district, or just right around it, uh, I know there's a Burger King right there, so I think that's a better example. If you type Burger King... In downtown Kansas City, you will get a picture of the actual Burger King in downtown Kansas City, along with their phone number, their address, reviews, and so on. Uh, if you t- uh, for Schlossberg, who, as I mentioned, he's an attorney. Uh, if you type in, uh, if you uh, search the name of his law firm, it comes up as a Mexican restaurant as the category, and there's a picture. Of some random Mexican restaurant used uh, to show his establishment, which obviously isn't real. But I'll tell you what that is. That is complete karma. Epic internet skills by whoever was responsible for that. And look, like I said with filming people, I mean, this guy's life, what do you even do at this point? This guy cannot get a client ever again because of what he did. I hope it was worth it to him to be an a-hole for those few seconds yelling at people just because they were speaking another language. And now he's facing a lot of backlash for this. And deservedly so. Uh, You act like that, just be prepared for what's going to come next. And he's dealing with those consequences now. Just never worth it. To act like that. I mean, not just personally, but also professionally. If you do these kinds of things, your employer is going to see this and say, Hey, look, our business is receiving a lot of threats. And now we're receiving bad business because of your actions. We have to let you go. 
It's not fair because it's what someone did outside of their own workplace. But if that impacts their employer, then your boss has to make a very difficult decision. And that's never a good thing. Never want to be in those people's shoes. Never want to be in their situations at all whatsoever. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening to the podcast. If you guys want to interact with me, give me your thoughts on anything we discuss. A lot to be covered here on this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Let me know. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine 21. You guys can also email me. Farzine at Farzine A reminder. Next Tuesday, we will have Marty McDonald. He will be on the podcast. And hopefully, I'll be back in a couple of weeks after that. Uh, or on the 12th, rather. Uh, for another episode. Again, a reminder, not going to talk a lot about any news updates because that will be recorded very soon this week. Um, but So there won't be uh, any of the closing segments, but hopefully we can have that on the 12th when I return to do the podcast. So if it feels like uh, I'm taking a week off, but not really. Uh, instead, I'll be uh, sedated this weekend, uh, getting my wisdom teeth pulled. So that will be a lot of fun. Uh, just, just laying down, eating... But soup, yogurt, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what I'll be able to eat. If anyone's had any experience with this, which I think most people have had by this point in their lives, uh, if you're my age at least, let me know, I mean, what is the best thing to eat? What is, what soothes them all, what, what eases the whole process and all this? Because I had a torn ACL, and I could not move for that weekend. I mean, I, I just had to lay down, which absolutely sucked. Uh, it, it, I'm one of those people I have to be productive doing something. Uh, so let me know. I mean, what is the best thing to eat? What's the best way to overcome that? Uh, if you got any advice for me, let me know. You guys know the social media: Facebook.com/slash/farzinevasugian, Twitter.com/slash/farzin21, and my email: farzin at farzinevasugian.com. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, hit the share button. Share it with your friends on social media. Let them know about the podcast. And as a reminder, I did mention last podcast, we will be on Google Play before the end of the month. So if you uh, if you use Google Play uh, to listen to podcasts, uh, if, you, if you prefer to use that instead, that will happen before the end of the month. Big thanks to all of you guys for listening. I will talk to you guys next week with Marty McDonald. Take care.